It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to The Call 10 Stocks, picked by you two experts one hour. It is Thursday, the 11th of August. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have your company. Our two experts on today's show... David Lane from Audmanet and Mark Gardner from Macro Capital. And our special guest is Telstra Chief Executive Andy Penn. Well, let's go there. Our stock of the day is Telstra. And uh, it's reported its full year profits have dipped 4.6% to $1.8 billion. Total revenue and earnings both falling, however, still well within expectations. And the telco giant still managing to lift its dividend for the first time in seven years. Shareholders will get eight and a half cents a share, taking the full year dividend to 16 and a half cents. Looking ahead, the company expecting growth in FY23 with income expected to be between 23 and 25 billion dollars. Well, off the back of those results, Chief Executive Andy Penn joining us now live. Andy, terrific to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. How would you describe the result? Now, look, thanks very much. It's great to be on the show. And FY22 for us is an inflection year and it's a really important year because it's the year in which we see the last of the economic headwinds as a consequence of uh, the migration to the NBN. And so to your point, whilst on the one hand our income EBITDA and NetPAT was down 5%, actually our underlying EBITDA was up 8.4% to 7.3 billion and underlying earnings per share was up almost 50%. And that's why the board has the confidence in the future with our growth aspirations for next year and over the next few years uh, to send a signal to the market to lift lift the dividend today for the first time in seven years, I should say. Yeah, indeed. So obviously rewarding shareholders there by lifting that dividend. Uh, so you're saying you are confident despite those headwinds that we're seeing in the economy at the moment? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Because, um, you know, you see that the guidance for us this year was, um, or oh, sorry, for FY23, is 7.8 to 8 billion. That's off the back of 7.3 billion uh, this year. And our outlook or our ambition, if you like, for earnings per share is high teens growth between FY21 and FY25. So, you know, we've put in a lot of work over the last few years with what we call our T22 strategy, taken out about a third of our cost base. We've radically simplified the company. We're separating out our our infrastructure assets. And that work's all pretty much done now. And so we get to see the benefit of the growth that um, that comes. And uh, of course, whilst we live in a more uncertain world, the one thing's for sure is that digital adoption is only increasing. Yet I noticed it's as far as your guidance is concerned, as articulated by your uh, successor. Uh, estimated uh, FY26 EBITDA will be significantly lower because of cost inflation and changes to customer demand profiles there. Um, obviously, just as far as impacts there on construction, also fibre supply. Yeah, look, Andrew, that was that that comment was in one relation to one specific project, the uh, intercapital fibre project that we announced earlier in this year about uh, 1.4 to 1.6 billion dollar investment. But actually, our outlook for EBITDA 
is for growth in uh, mid-single digits between here and 2025. So, yeah, sure, we, we are seeing some of the impacts on the economic environment on us, but they're relatively muted and we do have some natural hedges in our business. So, uh, you know, if you look at the total result of the company, we're on a very good trajectory. Um, how, do you, how are you looking at your earnings growth, particularly when you separate them from your mobile business to your fixed uh, consumer and small business? Well, obviously, the transition to the MBN has had the most material impact on the fixed business. Uh, pleasingly, we saw our consumer and small business, fixed business grow between the first half and the second half. And we said, you know, we thought that had bottomed out in terms of that impact, and that has been the case. Uh, on the enterprise side, we're still seeing declines in the data and connectivity business, but encouragingly, that was more than offset by 152 million growth in our NAS business, which is uh, which is fantastic. And and our mobiles business just had a stellar year. Uh, EBITDA in our mobiles business was up 700 million, and across prepaid, postpaid, wholesale, we you know we added best part of three quarters of a million in new services. So fantastic performance. So Andy, with your T22 strategy, you're seeking to capitalise on that movement to, uh, I guess, post-COVID um, hybrid working. Are you seeing then that that is, uh, is, there's a permanence about that? Yeah, no, look, absolutely. We've seen both the demand for data increase, but also the, uh, the type of use and how people are using their digital connections these days are increased. We've all learned through COVID uh, that we can work effectively and, and study effectively from home. We've had to completely reconfigure our networks to uh, respond to that. Um, you know, we're, we're doing TV interviews over various, this one's over Skype, or we could be using Zoom or Teams or otherwise. And, um, you know, we've adapted all of our networks to respond to that, but we're just seeing increasing demand for digital connection, but also digital solutions. I mean, for example, uh, at the same time, we're seeing the level of malicious cyber activity increasing. So our uh, our cyber and security services, that's increasing. Similarly, our cloud business is, in, uh, is increasing as well. So um, it's an exciting time for us, notwithstanding, obviously, some of the uncertainties around the economic environment. Yeah, particularly as far as those security issues, I guess that is going to increase costs. I think we're seeing that across the board for businesses at the moment. Overall, though, just as far as costs, underlying fits costs down, total operating expenses down. Is there more room to cut costs at this point? Yeah, well, look, we've taken out um, in our T22 program on an annualised basis $2.7 billion of fixed costs. You know, that's somewhere just a bit over a third of our total cost base. So that's been pretty material. And then in our T25 strategy, which basically takes us out over the next few years, uh, we are targeting to take out another $500 million. And not, And that's notwithstanding the fact that we've been growing the business at the same time. And the reason that we've been able to do that is we've radically simplified the business and we've completely swapped out our digital systems and we've upgraded all of those. And so we're seeing you know, the number of transactions. So, for example, our cons in a consumer business, nearly a half of all new business transactions and services are done online, more than uh, three quarters of all service interactions are online. That's enabled us to reduce the number of calls coming into our call centre by 70%. We brought our call centres back onshore. We brought our Telstra source back in-house. And so, you know, the, the company is in a much leaner, much more agile, much more simplified, much more digitised state. And so really well positioned for this next uh, exciting phase of uh, technology innovation. So you're expecting gross debt to continue to decline then? Well, we've got a very clear set of balance sheet settings and um, 
we will uh, operate within them, within those. Our sort of net debt to EBITDA ratio is just under two points, so our gearing's in a strong position. That will increase a bit in 2023 as we basically book the, uh, the, the debt that we've taken on in partnership with the Australian government to fund the Digicel acquisition. Uh, but, you know, we will continue to focus on having a very strong balance sheet. Andy, you have increased guidance for CapEx. Uh, can you give some indication as to where you're likely to deploy that money? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, earlier in this year, we announced a major upgrade and extension to our intercapital fibre networks. In other words, put that sort of in, in layman's terms, it's basically the backbone telecommunications infrastructure that connects the major cities around the country. Uh, and then also it's got on and off ramps to regional centres as well. And of course, as we're all doing more stuff online, we're sending more traffic over those networks. And, and of course, the other thing that's happening is, is that more and more people are putting more and more their IT systems in the cloud. And so the hyperscalers, so people like Microsoft, just signed a major anchor tenant deal with them for this new intercapital fibre. Uh, you know, they're looking to upgrade the amount of capacity they need. And so that's where that investment's going. The other thing we're doing is, um, uh, interesting uh, satellite technology is really advancing as well. We've done a deal with Viasat, which is a world-leading satellite company to build all of their ground station for their uh, Series 3 uh, new satellite, which is going up um, over the next 12 months or so, which will cover the whole of Asia Pacific, but all of the ground station work is here in Australia. So some really exciting investments. And if you like, uh, Andrew, it sort of um, it supports our decision to separate out our infrastructure business because um, you know there is so much demand for infrastructure assets from an investment mm. perspective. Well further to that the uh, the sale of Infraco uh, the proceeds from that are you looking at perhaps capital returns or perhaps another buyback for shareholders? Well look we um, as you know we we're effectively there's two parts to our infrastructure business there's that which supports the mobiles business that's essentially mobile towers and mobile huts and then there's the fixed infrastructure uh, we've already entered into a partnership with the Future Fund on the uh, on the mobile site. We call that Amplitel, uh, and uh, we sold 49% to them, and we used 1.35 billion of those proceeds uh, to fund a buyback. It valued that part of the business at about uh, five and a half to six billion. By the way, to put it in context, our fixed infrastructure business in terms of EBITDA is about six to seven times the size of our mobiles one. We, um, we said today that we will be putting out a, a scheme booklet explanatory memorandum uh, at the end of this month and there'll be a shareholders meeting to finalise the restructure of the business and that will then provide the company with the opportunities to you know, really optimise the value of that business going forward. But no decisions have been made yet in relation to that monetisation. Andy, on a personal note, um, you are leaving next month. You've presided over your last uh, earnings results here. Uh, you're obviously confident you've left the business uh, in a good space as you leave. Uh, what's your legacy? What are the most significant changes you feel as though you've made? And do you have any regrets? Oh, plenty, plenty of regrets. Most of the regrets, by the way, are not being bold enough and not moving fast enough, as opposed to the things that we have done. Um, you know, I'd say a couple of things about my legacy. I remember when I was appointed the CEO back in 2015, I had a vision, a vision to create a world-class technology company that empowers people to connect. It wasn't about becoming Google, it was about recognising that, you know, telecommunications is very much now deeply in the technology space and we needed to fundamentally transform to be successful. When I announced that vision, 
candidly and understandably, a lot of stakeholders thought it was implausible just given the scale of what we needed to do. And so the first thing I'm very proud about is stepping down in a month's time knowing that is what Telstra has become. And then the second thing I would say is that, you know, strategies come and go, um, business changes, new competitors arrive, regulations change. Ultimately, the thing that you want to leave from a lasting legacy point of view is the people, the culture, the motivation, the level of engagement, your ability to attract great talent, because uh, that's what's sustainable. And, you know, I'm just really proud that our culture's in a great place. Um, employee engagement has never been higher. We've appointed my successor and her successor as the CFO, both from within the senior management team. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really great team. And, and that's what I'm proud of. Andy, all the best for the future. And thanks for joining us from Telstra. Thanks so much, Andrew. All right. Well, it is our stock of the day, Telstra. We've just heard from Andy Penn, the chief executive. So let's hear from our experts. Mark, let's start with you. Uh, your thoughts then on where he's leaving the business and that result. Yeah, look, nice to hear some enthusiasm about Telstra. It's been fairly range-bound for, uh, for quite a while. Um, look, it does look like the business has been left in a better place. Um, I think it, we, it, from a, I'd, I'd probably just be a hold at this stage. Um, those results are fairly good. Uh, there's still a lot, of, there's a lot of moving parts going on with this business um, as it sort of transforms. Uh, and, you know, and obviously that partnership with the Future Fund, whether there'll be a share buyback, etc. The range has been fairly reliable. That's sort of 4, 10, 4, 15 on the top side, um, 380 to the lower side. Um, look, I, if there was going to be a, a large share back, uh, buyback announced, um, I think you'd be happy to buy with momentum on a break or buy it on a pullback there. But um, but overall, it, it's um, you know they've they've been criticised a lot in the past for you know for being that boring bohemoth mm. and. Um, it sounds like Andy Penn, you know, from what uh, what he just said right there, is that they are you know starting to shift with the times. Um, within this space, you know, if you're looking for a little bit more growth, um, I think you know Aussie Broadband's not a bad option at the moment as well. Um, they're, but they've obviously done a big deal with Telstra as well, so yep. uh, on a wholesale front. So look, it um, I, I I would probably prefer this just a little bit lower at this stage. Um, Probably somewhere around the you know around the three ninety mark or something along those lines because it doesn't tend to be a stock that gets okay. away on you yep. but um, definitely a hold that's for sure. Mm. All right, David, um, what are shareholders getting out of this at the moment? Just taking a look at that share price, particularly over the last twelve months, it's pretty much gone sideways. Yeah, it has a little bit, which uh, in the last six months has actually been quite a good thing that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it hasn't true. performed as badly as many others. Uh, look, we like it, and it, it was a good result. Um, we've got a buy recommendation on Telstra. Our target price is four sixty-five. Uh, it is, as Mark said, you know, a, a fairly boring portfolio stock where you you get a good income on it. Um, it's trading at a reasonable level. Uh, you know, over the the last few years, the simplification of the business has been a, a positive, and and have to say that Andy Penn has done an exceptional job. That you know, one of the only CEOs in my recent memory that's actually come out with a, a strategy uh, and delivered on that strategy and, and stayed with the company while it's uh, it's been delivered. So, you know, mm. I think he's done a, a very, very good job in that regard. Uh, and the business now has some growth through the Digicel acquisition 
there is the potential that the shareholders will get further capital returns through you know, the sale of that that infraco. Uh, so yeah, we like it and think that uh, you know for conservative long-term investors, it's a it's a good core portfolio stock. All right. So Andy Penn obviously leaving on a high. All right. Well, let's move on to the stocks as picked by you. Uh, we're going to this. First half, we're going to look at Metcash, Transurban, Cooper Energy, Perpetual and Shaver Shop. So let's start with Metcash. Uh, Jane, wanted to know about this. It is uh, food, liquor, hardware, supply to IGA, Foodlands, Celebrations, Mitre 10. Um, David, your thoughts on Metcash and I guess uh, I guess comparatively to, to those big supermarket chains of, of Coles and Woolies. Yeah, Metcash is a, a good business. Uh, their last result was a, a very solid one. Um, they actually performed very, very well on their, their food and liquor division. Uh, hardware was in, in line. Um, their recent acquisition of Trade Tools has been a positive um, acquisition for them and, and they're uh, doing quite well from that point of view. The benefit that a business like Metcash has in the current environment is that they they are able to pass through the, the inflation. So uh, at this point in time, that hasn't impacted on their sales and their their margins are, are quite reasonable. So we actually increased our our uh, expectations following their last result by about five point eight percent. We've got an accumulate recommendation on the stock, uh, and as you said, in comparison to Woolies and Coles, we actually slightly prefer Metcash at the moment because they have actually been able to uh, win a bit of market share from those those majors. And uh, yeah, yep, tend to like Met as a as a stock in that space. All right, Mark. Yeah, look, I, I tend to echo. Um David's comments there. Look, Metcash seems much cheaper compared to Woolies and Coles here at the moment. Um, really nice dividend yield on that. Um, their last result, uh, I think they gave an update in June, which was a really solid update. Uh, it sort of seems like it's a bit of a forgotten stock. Um, everyone will rush to the big known names when they need defensive stocks. And, you know, and once that sort of fizzles out, um, obviously, you know, a little bit of selling might come in because people want to move to more growthy style names, but um, at these prices here at the moment, yeah, it's it'd just be yeah, it'd be an accumulate for me. Um, particularly, you know, I'm I don't think we're necessarily out of the woods. You know, I think the next six months, the general outlook's going to be you know a bit of a pendulum swing from you know optimism to pessimism. So having some defensive names with a decent yield in your portfolio is going to be um, you know, is going to be the right thing to have on. So and it seems quite cheap, but, um, you know. I think back in back in sort of late April, we we're around the four dollar ninety mark. Um, you know, it's four dollars thirteen here at the moment. Most of the analysts have got uh, expectations at least ten percent higher. So mm. yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, you know, I'm just gradually shifting a lot of portfolios back to being a little bit more defensive after this yep. recent rally. So. This would be the sort of thing I'd be sort of considering probably, probably post-reporting season. All right, so that's a double accumulate then on Metcash. Right, let's move on to Transurban. Andrew Wannington about this. Uh, does have a pipeline of projects uh, to the tune of about $3.9 billion. Uh, and it sees that uh, that's as far as its strategy looking to population and economic growth, expecting to be the key drivers there, particularly if it's share price. So, um, Mark, when you're talking about a defensive play, does Transurban then fit the bill? 
Yeah, look, this is one of the ones we've seen uh, on the smart, some of the smart estimates uh, doing our sort of research for reporting season is most likely to probably surprise to the upside. Um, so, yeah, look, everything's obviously ind indexed to inflation. We've had fairly high inflation. Um, you know, the market's reaction to that, you know, we've got the same level of inflation as we had in March, but apparently the market's happy with it now. Um, but I, I think this one actually will report, will, will report very well. Um, obviously, the uh, pipeline of projects coming up, the question will be whether they keep their costs in line. Um, usually, governments have provided a fairly decent backstop for them as well. So it's a business that has pretty favourable favourable conditions. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think overall it's it's a it's another really good safe play. Um, and obviously, with the you know, with inflation very much outpacing interest rates at the moment, and their ability to index those um, you know index those rises to the uh, toll roads, etc. And they've got a captive audience, so mm. you know it's not like they've got a market you know a marketing bill or anything like that. So. Uh, yeah, look, I, I'm, it's pretty high at the moment, but I, look, I, we, we sort of like it for reporting season and think it'll probably surprise to the upside. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to call it a buy for now. Yeah. All right, OK. And obviously a review on the, on the update. Yeah, sure. David? Yeah, we also like uh, Transurban. We've got an accumulate recommendation on it. Um, they've done very, very well over the last six months. Their share price is up about point. Uh, nine seven percent, um, but we still think that there's there's further uh, upside in it, and we think that really the market's undervalued the fact that it's such a, a steady free cash flow business. Uh, it's got the ability to increase its dividends over time. So, over the next decade, we're forecasting that they increase their their free cash flow by about ten percent a year. Uh, that's underpinned by the fact that traffic volumes historically have outperformed GDP growth, so historically about 3% a year. And uh, the fact that they are actually able to, to flow through, um, you know, the, the rising costs and, and, you know, charge charge people more for their tolls. So, yeah, it's a good business. We, we like it at the moment. As mm. I said, we've got an accumulate recommendation on Transurban. All right. Moving to the energy space, Cooper Energy, and uh, it's uh, recently raised 183 million, um, and the proceeds being used in the acquisition of the Orbost gas processing plant. David, when you look at an energy company, you expect it would have done very well, particularly over the past uh, year or um, certainly since the beginning of this year. Yet, yep. you look at its share price, and it hasn't. What's going on? Yeah, that's right, uh, and it's certainly nothing to do with the you know the results of the company. The the company has done well, as you said. That Orbos gas project uh, was a, a good acquisition for them. We were encouraged in their quarterly result by uh, their production numbers and and their uh, their output there, and think that it does have very good leverage to the east coast gas market. And as we all know, that's that's very much tightening. So. Uh, yeah, we do have a, a buy recommendation on um, Cooper Energy, as you said, with the share price down where it is, our target price is about 50% above where they're currently trading. So we think there is an opportunity there. Uh, being a, a smaller uh, producer, they are a, a higher risk um, at, you know, higher risk stock, but we do tend to think that uh, you know, it, it would be worthwhile for people to take a, uh, take a bit of a punt on them and should be worth a lot more than they currently are. Mm, okay. Mark, do you agree? Is it good value at this 
level? Yeah, this is actually our research department's got a, a small caps recommendation uh, which we released not probably five odd days ago actually. So um, that all boss transaction, they bought that back somewhere in the around the 300 million range, but they actually sold it to APA for 600 million. So. Management can't be all that silly. Um, if and that was only really 2007, late 2017. So um, they've managed to pick up, you know, an asset that they owned for half the price, um, essentially not, you know, five years along. So, you know, there's got to be some sort of savviness there from from the management team. Um, if this was your holding in the energy sector, uh, you obviously would be a touch disappointed, mm. <laughs> given the performance. But um, it possibly needs a buoyant market, which we are getting at the moment. Um, obviously, you know, the inflation number seems to have given them the all clear to, you know, the smaller cap end of the market over the last, uh, you know, particularly over the last week or so. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's at the bottom of the range here at the moment, uh, around that 22 cent mark. Yeah, I'd be, yeah, I, I think it could quite easily drift back into the top of the range, which is around 30 cents, which as, as David said, it's near, close, on, close to 50 odd percent. So. Yeah, I think it's worth. You, I think you'd work. You'd work a fairly tight stop. Um, you know, probably below. You know, somewhere around between nineteen to twenty, sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, it's and and keep an eye on it just in case they report badly. But yeah, and I think the analyst consensus is is a good forty percent away from here as well. So, look, if they can't deliver, um, then you you it would probably be be a long term avoid, um, and that maybe is what's tainted them a little bit as they haven't. Management hasn't delivered in the past, but mm. um, yeah, from a risk reward standpoint, um, I, I think it's definitely there's a there's a dip, there's a pretty good trade there. A buy. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Okay. All right. Moving on to perpetual. Lewis wanting to know about this and pointing out that it's been a disappointing 12 months for shareholders, assuming he is one of them. And uh, in fact, just recently, of course, it did make a 2.4 billion dollar bid to acquire Pendle by a scheme of arrangement. So, uh, Mark, what are you seeing then as far as the future is concerned for perpetual? Uh, look, I haven't been. Yeah, it's been a hard twelve months for funds managers generally. Really, um, obviously, you know the, the likes of Magellan. But mm. you look across the entire sector. Um, U.S. pension funds haven't done particularly well. I think they've had their worst start since two thousand and nine. Worst start of the year. Um, you know, the turbulent times. Perpetuals traditionally, you know, prides themselves in being value investors. Uh, it's been extraordinarily difficult to, uh, the fundamentals have been thrown out the window to both the upside and the downside over the last probably 18 to 24 months. Um, so a pretty difficult time for, a, you know, a, a value investing firm like this. I didn't, I don't mind the Pendle uh, acquisition because just purely on an economies of scale basis, uh, you know, these guys, um, it's such a competitive industry. There's been a lot of outflows of funds um, in overall, for just across the board, um, as investors sort of move. You know, I think the ETF sectors generally, from the ASX statistics, is um, is extraordinarily strong and growing. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't mind the business overall. I think if the Pendle thing can go through. And the cost savings there might help it along, mm -hmm. but um, the the funds management space is certainly not something I want to be risking over reporting season. Yeah. Um, just just because there hasn't been a great track record from really any of them to uh, to surprise to the upside. So look, if you've got it, you probably hold it. Um, and you know, I think you'd probably be more of a long-term investor uh, if, you're, yep. if you're holding it. But uh, certainly, not it's not a buy for me at the moment. Yeah, you're not sounding enthusiastic about it. No. So, David, are you? 
Uh, yeah, we are a little bit more uh, enthusiastic <laughs> about it. Uh, we've got a buy recommendation on it. Um, it, it, it is a, a current price as it's probably a, a little bit of a higher risk um, play. As Mark said, the, the funds management business has been beset with, with problems over the last 12 months. Um, Perpetual itself did lose a, a large uh, fixed interest mandate from the US and they've been impacted by the, the equity markets coming off. Um, but some of the reasons that we like the business are the fact that their corporate trustee business uh, continues to, to grow fairly well and the expectations are that they should, um, management believe that they, they should increase their overall funds under management over the next 12 months. And their performance as a fund manager has actually been quite good. So 92% of their Australian equity mandates of benchmark over the last three years and their Barrow Hanley acquisition, which they, they bought recently, 85% um, of those have outperformed the benchmark. So comparative to other fund managers, they, they've been performing quite well. Mm. Um, share price at the moment sits on a PE of about 11 times and a dividend yield of 7.2% fully frank. So it's an, you know, an excellent value uh, style stock. And um, yeah, as long as you're prepared to to be in it for that longer term, as Mark said, yep. uh, you should get a, a reasonable return on it. All right, okay, that is perpetual. Let's take a look at Shaver Shop. Haley wanted to know about this, saying surely it's not a discretionary play. Is this a safer retailer for the immediate future? I, yeah, I guess it's debatable, isn't it? And walking into a Shaver Shop, whether it is discretionary or not, whether you really do need its products. David, what are your thoughts? Well, it depends. I, I need it. <laughs> uh, but certainly, and that's our analyst view too, is that uh, in, in many cases, the, you know, that sector is somewhat non-discretionary. Uh, and there has actually been a big increase in, in do-it-yourself um, personal care, I suppose. Uh, so it is a sector that's, that's been growing fairly well. Shaver Shop has got a, a good footprint there. They've really probably stopped their store rollouts. There's still some opportunities in New Zealand now, but they probably don't need to grow too many more stores. But the encouraging thing about Shaver Shop is their online sales have been up very, very strongly. Uh, so they're up 7.9% uh, in their last result, and that's up about 120% since um, 2019. So there's very strong growth there. Uh, it is very well priced at, at current levels, sitting on a PE ratio of 8.6 times and a dividend yield of 8.2%, fully franked. Uh, so on a grossed up basis, that takes it to 11.7%. So uh, certainly a very good potential return there. And um, they do have good margins. So you know, margins of about 43% on their products. So um, yeah, it's, it is in that discretionary um, bucket, but there, there are a lot of people who, who tend to find that that, that side of the market is uh, non-discretionary and they'll mm. continue to spend money there. Yep. Okay. Uh, so you've got a what on it? Uh, sorry, we've got an accumulate recommendation. Okay. On it. All right. Mark, um, what, are you buying beard trimmers there? Well, yeah, <laughs> I, think I, I think I may have actually at some stage. Um, yeah, look, it, it's a good little it's a good little business. It's not, it, and it's fairly stable as well. Um, that PE range over the last few years has sort of been seven and a half to ten. Like it doesn't really 
fluctuate a hell of a lot. Obviously, as David um, alluded to, they're on their online sales. Um, I like the f- about increasing. I like the fiscal discipline of not rolling out more stores. Um, I think uh, just pl- there's a lot of companies that have been a little bit guilty of just ploughing through with their strategic plan and not taking in their, into account the macro environment. Um, and these guys, you know, they've had really consistent growth in uh, in revenue, uh, net income. It, I'd say that net margin of uh, around the 40% mark would be just about best in you know best in sector um, or thereabouts. So inflation isn't going to bite them too hard. We do have supply chain issues easing as well, um, and it and it pays a great little dividend. U.S. earnings season really showed us that the analysts got way too bearish on uh, on consumer stocks. Mm. Um, they all smashed analyst expectations out of the park um, just because of the dour outlook. Um, I, I think we will have a really good reporting season uh, generally for, I mean, these guys trade at a high around the, uh, around the 126 mark. They're about 110 at the moment. But look, if you get stuck with them, you, they pay 8, 8% fully franked. So yeah. it's not that big of a deal. And the, and the consistent nature of their income and, and, their, and their growth um, means that you can hang on to them if we, if we have another um, sort of chicken little moment in the market like we had back in June. So... It, um, yeah, I'm, ha- I'm happy to call them a buy at the moment. Um, yep. And yeah, they're, they're, uh, I think they report, they'll probably report towards the end of the month with the rest of the consumer stocks there. Yep, all eyes on that. Okay, so let's sum up where we've been for the first half of the show, our stock of the day. And of course, uh, we had uh, special guest, uh, Andy Penn, Chief Executive of Telstra there. Uh, Mark, he's got a hold on it. Uh, he says if you're looking for growth, probably uh, Aussie Broadband would be a better way to go there. Um, and David has a buy on Telstra. Uh, the stock's as picked by you, Metcash. David, um, he's got an accumulate, as does Mark. Transurban, um, Mark calls it a safe play. He's got a buy, an accumulate there, seeing future upside, says David. And Cooper Energy, both slapping a buy on that. Uh, perpetual, uh, look, high risk, says David. Uh, given funds management, we know the troubles they've had of recent times, but he does have a buy on it. Mark has a hold on perpetual and shave shop there. And accumulate from David saying it's well priced. Mark has a buy on shave shop. All right. Now, of course, we are tracking our own high conviction fund here at the core, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode is live for you to watch. So let's uh, check in on the update. Uh, Heading into August, Ordinate was removed and Oz Minerals was added. We also upped our Woodside holding size. So taking a look at the performance, it's up 3.2% on a cumulative return basis since its inception at the beginning of March. Keep sending in your requests. Keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, second half of the show, we'll be looking at CSL, South32, Tabcorp, GPT Group and Pact Group. Let's get into it. CSL, Brendan's saying, uh, we're wanting to know about this. Uh, the biotherapeutics company shares uh, have uh, been rising. Plasma collection levels now back to pre-COVID levels in the US. Uh, so, Mark, 
What are your thoughts on the big one, CSL? Yeah, obviously portfolio staple um, for us. Uh, we were happily accumulating all through the sort of uh, the lows through you know June um, and more May and June, and um, obviously it's popped up a little bit now. Um, the Vifor uh, transaction, I think. Mm. Uh, is all been done and done and dusted now, as per uh, either yesterday or the day before, I do believe. Yeah, regulators um, rule off on it. Yep. But yeah, I think um, it's not one generally. We will we will tend. It's been very range bound for a while. Obviously, that blood plasma coming back to normal levels. Um, there, there are chances surprising potentially to the upside uh, this reporting season, but. Um, at the moment, we're probably hunting around, uh, you know, for for more dividend plays, etc. Uh, after a rough period, um, and our clients are pretty full on this stock. But um, it it's pretty much an, almost a standing accumulate. Realistically, I, I think we'll start to see um, that Vifor transaction probably come through the accounts over the next, you know, next couple of reporting seasons, and that obviously was a was a big transaction. So. Mm. Um, it's pretty much by dips in this thing um, at, at the moment. Um, it's not the sort of thing you necessarily can buy on stop with momentum because obviously we've held that range for two and a half odd years now. So, um, but yeah, every time every time you sort of see it drift back down, you, you know, hopefully pick it up. Yeah. If they if they change their outlook um, and they're a little bit more positive, um, and uh, but it, usually you don't have to rush to buy this and. And, um, and we've even had uh, many clients doing, you know, so we're doing cover call strategies, of obviously, for the dirt because of the lower dividend, etc. But it's always something that people want to hold on to. So, um, okay. So, yeah, it's definitely a hold um, and buy on, buy on dips. So, yeah, call it an accumulate then. Yeah, uh, yeah, but absolutely. as you say, a portfolio staple, essentially. So Yeah, never really considered selling assets. Yeah, um, all right. Uh, David, uh, do you agree? Are you going to accumulate your accumulates? Uh, yes, yeah, pretty much have to agree with everything Mark said. Uh, we've got an accumulate recommendation on it. Um, our target price is three, $315. Um, but yeah, tend to agree. We, we do think that the business is at a turning point in terms of its, its earnings growth and that we think that the, the VIFOR acquisition is a good one for them, but a very big acquisition, $17 billion acquisition. So they, they will take some time to um, integrate that in. Um, but yeah, tend to agree with what Mark said, that it's an accumulate, uh, probably one to look at, at buying on on any weakness. Um, it's, you know, you can't get excited about the dividend. It, it's really more about that share price growth over the, the long term. Uh, and yeah, most of our clients will have at least some in their portfolios. Also, South 32, Tegan wanting to know that this uh, has acquired an interest in the Chile Copper, uh, boosting its group earnings. And uh, I guess unlike some of its peers, not exposed to iron ore, uh, it has a diversified portfolio of base metals. You could say that is potentially a positive there. So, David, what are your thoughts on South 32, I guess, particularly where we're seeing where we're at too in the commodity cycle? Yeah, we like South 32 and we think that uh, the, the share price is, is very attractive at the moment. I've uh, got a buy recommendation on it. It's a very good business that produces um, you know, strong high cash flow. Uh, you know, we think at, at current levels it's got a lot of potential upside. Um, you know, price earnings ratio is 4.8 times at the moment uh, and the dividend yield currently is 9.5% fully franked. So, 
yeah, they're, they're paying out their their cash that they're generating to their shareholders and think that the recent share price weakness is a good opportunity to, to add to positions if you've already got it or to, to buy positions if you, you don't have it. Okay, Mark? Yeah, I like this one as well. Um, very happy to call it a buy. Um, obviously, iron ore is such a massive part of those you know big diversified miners. Um, it's very difficult to find something that... Um, doesn't have that exposure and that does tend to swing around a fair bit. Um, just fairly, you know, rosy outlook on uh, base metals, sort of medium to long term, um, no matter really what the scenario. I think, uh, you know, China's our biggest trading partner by a long way. Uh, we've got the National Congress coming up um, November this year. I, I would have thought uh, President Xi's, he's going for a lifetime presidency essentially at this National Congress. so. I would have thought there'd be, you know, there'll be some stimulus and, and you know, reduction of lockdowns coming fairly soon. And obviously, being our biggest trading partner, they're, um, you know, they're, they're already at that sort of recession stage because of these lockdowns. So, I think the only way is up for economic activity with that with that major trading partner. Um, so, I, I quite like the, the generally the material sector there at the moment, but this one particularly, yeah, if you, um, yeah, if if you want to get something that doesn't have the iron ore exposure because you're worried about that, well, this is this is a great one. But they've got a, they've got a fantastic track record um, and great management. So uh, yeah, in their quarterly updates, they expect to meet their cost guidance, which was a big worry for a lot of these miners. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to call it a buy. A double buy then. Uh, to South 32, that's heading to the Committee for Consideration. All right, moving into the gaming space, Tabcorp, Omar wanted to know about this, asking, is there any use in holding it after the demerger? Would appreciate an update from you guys. Of course, that demerger being that uh, it, uh, it's lotteries and keno business siphoned off into Lottery Corporation. Mark? Uh, I think, I mean, I've definitely had, we've definitely had this one on the call before. Um, I, and I said at the time, the lottery's business is by far the better business. Mm. So to answer the viewer's question, yes, uh, I think it's, you know, you're better off in that, um, in that keno and lotteries. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, this is not something I necessarily consider anymore. Um, it's pretty much the leftovers of what was, you know, whilst the quality's moved to TLC. So uh, yeah, buy, buy the TLC instead. All right. So what you you're selling it then? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Switch. Or, yeah. Just to answer the viewers' question. Yeah. The yeah. Switch is. You should definitely be switching into the. Uh, yep. All right. Part. Switch over. Uh, David. Yeah, we tend to agree. We've got a lightning recommendation on Tabcorp. Um, the their wagering business. They've been shutting a lot of their retail stores, but they haven't really been making as as much of a market share increase as they should have with their online uh, or, or app-based betting. Uh, and that industry has been growing very, very strongly, but Tabcorp hasn't really been a participant in in growing their market share there. So when compared to the the other online bookmakers, they're you know, behind the curve and uh, probably haven't had the had the technology in place um so certainly yeah i think the the lotteries business is is probably the preferred part of the business if you want to uh, go down that path or if you wanted an online betting um player the likes of points bet or blue bet uh, you know are, are stocks that we tend to prefer in that space but they do have you know particularly high risk so they are um not only the, the industry but also the nature of their business they're punting stocks yeah, absolutely. So, uh, 
So is your transaction then your lightning here? Are you actually then picking up the um, uh, lottery corporation? Yes. Yeah. I tend to think that it's it's the better business if yep. you if you want an exposure there. That uh, yeah, you'd reduce the reduce or sell out of Tab Corp and, and buy the lotteries company. Okay. All right. Moving on to GPT Group. Paul wants to know about this uh, real estate investment uh, trust there that REIT on in what's well, got retail office logistics. Um, so. David, what are your thoughts here, particularly in a rising interest rate environment? Uh, your thoughts on GPT? Yeah, GPT, we'll, it is a very good business, but we have a lightened recommendation on it and think that it's uh, probably one of the more vulnerable stocks at the moment to the rise interest rates, um, partly due to the fact that they've, they don't have much of an interest rate hedge. Uh, the other issue that GPT's got is... 30% of their office portfolio um, is due to expire by 2024. So they are exposed to potential occupancy issues there. Uh, so yeah, we've got a lightened recommendation on that stock. We tend to prefer Mervac. We've got a buy recommendation on Mervac and think that it's the, the better player in that space at the moment. Okay, Mark. Yeah, I, I don't like the diversified nature of, of this one. Um, at the moment, uh, in the REIT space, we're pretty much sticking to industrial. CIP is our favourite there. Um, look, these guys, you know, not, not necessarily a bad business, but the, the whale's very short, the weighted average lease length. Mm. Um, office and retail, you know, there's there's been structural changes uh, to both of those sectors in terms of Retail being able to negotiate rents for the first time, realistically, um, office with, with the hybrid working. So, um, whereas in your in your industrial space, uh, the recent uh, outlook from CIP, um, which quoted an industry group, there's you know, they, the demand for uh, industrial uh, space is something like 3.1 million square metres over the next five years, mm. and there's only 1.3 million available. So there is a definite shortage, particularly in premium spaces. Uh, in uh, in that industrial space, and there's, there is with the supply chain issues as well. There's manufacturing coming back to Australia, um, you know, for the first time in a long while as well, which is taking up those industrial spaces. It's not just logistics and e-commerce. Um, so yeah, look, I'd be switching. I'd be selling this and switching into something like CIP. Uh, if you want a diversified um, diversified option, um, the charter hall long while um, I think gives you a lot more stability. They're both trading, they're all trading at, you know, mid-20s discount to net tangible assets at the moment. So mm. I think the sector's, you know, massively oversold in the effective interest rates, particularly on those long whale index to inflation um, style like CIP and Charter Hall. Um, I mean, they're, they're really, you know, they're really throwing the baby out with the bathwater realistically. They're mm. not going to get those tailwinds of the uplift in the property prices necessarily, but the... Um, but they're also at the lower end of their debt, uh, you know, their debt uh, thresholds, and uh, and they're 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 basically they're they're both structured at least five years out in terms of their um, their debt, um, and you know they've got nearly ten years each of them um, in average in average lease length. So, um, and quite a lot of it indexed to inflation. So yeah, yeah it's right. definitely better options in the space. Yeah, so not liking that diversity. So are you seeing that the structural change that we're seeing in, in office and retail as being permanent? No, not necessarily. It's, it's, it's an uncertain outlook. Mm. And when you've, got, when you've got certainty in the, in the space trading, um, 
you know, with a with a really strong outlook like that industrial space, um, trading at the similar discount, well, it's a really good opportunistic time to be switching out and just not take the risk. So it's a sell. It's a sell and a switch here yeah, into uh, into more industrial focus. Sure. Okay. All right, let's uh, round it out with Pact Group. Uh, Max wanting to know about this does, uh, we have recently announced a, a planned partnership with Woolies to replace 18,000 tonnes of new plastic with local recycled, recycled plastic, uh, sus- providing sustainable packaging and uh, for products including milk bottles, meat trays and drink bottles. Uh, Mark, what are your thoughts on Pact Group? Um, I've had a look at this one a couple of times before. I, I really am um, reticent to get involved based on, you know, Amcor's 50% from its lows, whereas this is not very far from it. Um, it's, it just hasn't performed very well. They've had an acquisition, they've got really high debt. Um, I, I think there's just a little bit of an uncertain outlook. The market's, looking at the chart here, the market doesn't look particularly convinced. Um, it doesn't chart, mean, isn't it? Yeah, it's not it's not a great chart. Although, look, it's I think we I had a look at it back on the call in I think May or June, and it I think it it looks a little bit better now, but not by much. Um, it'd be a watch list for me if they get it right. If management proves themselves, if the acquisition's positive, you know, um, and they can reduce some of that debt, but the, the margins are wafer thin in this space, and inflation where it is at the moment. It's you never really want to be gravitating towards you know low margin businesses. So I, I'd just be watching it for now. Um, and yeah, I suppose I could call it a hold. Um, the dividend doesn't excite me. The the forward PE is actually is lower than the sector PE. It's it's around about ten and a half. Sector PE is sixteen. But I, at this point in time, it's it'd have to I'd have to see management prove themselves over a couple mm. more earnings reports before them had much confidence in it, but there is plenty of upside in it if they manage to turn it around. So yeah, definitely keep it on your watch list, but it's not a buy from me for now. David, is it on your list? It is on our list. We've got a buy recommendation on it, and that's really more on, on valuation terms. Um, their PE is below 10 times. It's a reasonable dividend yield. Uh, does have growth potential, uh, but I'd probably caution they're due to release their result on the 17th of August and probably at least wait until then. Um, It is, as Mark said, a fairly low margin business. They will have impact from rising hydrocarbon costs, um, potential rising of costs. So certainly be one to to be watching the the earnings result and potentially looking at at picking that up if there's a little bit of weakness there. as you've said, they've, they've made some acquisitions recently that, that do provide some growth, but one of the things that the market is concerned about is their high levels of debt and the fact that when we have rising interest rates, um, servicing that debt can become an issue. So, yes, we do have a buy, but I'd probably be holding back and, and waiting until that result uh, is announced on the 17th of August. All right, that goes for the many companies, obviously, as we head into earnings season. Let's summarise where we've been for the second half of the show. CSL there. Uh, portfolio staples, says uh, Mark. He's got an accumulator, or at the very least a hold. Uh, looking to pick it up as uh, we see those price movements. David, also an accumulate. South 32, it's a double buy from both Tabcorp, a sell from Mark, Lighten there from David. Uh, GPT Group, Lighten from David, a sell uh, from Mark. And finally, their pack group, uh, Mark's watching it, potentially a hold. David has a buy on it. 
Just on that note, David, I mean, you have come up with a number of accumulates and buyers today. You, <laughs> you, you, you're sounding pretty optimistic about where we're at at the moment. Yeah, well, the, the, the market has come off fairly dramatically and we have actually got a, a strong economic environment. So, you know, we are going into reporting season across the board. Our analysts are forecasting 20% earnings growth. So overall, it is still a fairly positive environment. Um, yes, we've got concerns about inflation and, and the impact that that might have, but we think that Australia at least has managed um, relatively well. We don't have to go into the the, the significant rate rises that the, the US has to. Mm. Uh, and in many cases, I think the market has probably oversold some of the, the stocks and, and therefore we, we do have, as you said, quite a lot of buy recommendations on, on a number of the stocks at the moment. Indeed. Mark, I get the sense from you, you prefer perhaps to hold your powder, keep your powder dry until we see earnings season and what, what those results. Well, we were probably a little bit more optimistic before um, before some. I, I, I really saw the, um, we, were, we were sort of buying into the US earnings season because I thought the analysts had majorly overcooked their, um, their downside expectations and that, that did unfold. And we, you know, we've been buoyed by that constant drip feed of, you know, beating what, you know, the beat on Wall Street. Um, I think we're going to get something fairly similar. That getting through that CPI number was really key. Um, but we we are generally taking off, you know, in, and returning back to a little bit of cash which we're using for reporting season plays. Okay. We like the coal. We, you know, there's obviously going to be the energy sector, coal and uh, oil and gas, uh, which should be, uh, which should go very well. I'm pretty confident, although my, you know, my colleagues are less confident. But I, I think the uh, the same mistakes been made here as the US, where with the consumer discretionary, I think we're going to have some pretty big gains in some of those. Um, so they, with retail sales continuing to rise pretty much every month um, over the last half year, we've, we've had a lot. You know, the Nick Scarleys, the Adairs, the JB Hi-Fi's, mm. uh, Harvey Normans sold off quite considerably. And I think that you know the numbers won't be anywhere near as bad as what as what they've said. So, it's yeah, there'll be opportunities there. And then look, we'll probably sort of wait and see. My my outlook's generally range bound probably for the rest of the year. It's as I said before, swinging between optimism and pessimism. It'll, um, but I think uh, this, the chance of a softer landing is more likely now because the central banks will with the inflation number not rising probably get a little bit more time to breathe which means there's then you know there's less chance of an error of, of a knee-jerk um, hike in rates that yep. that um that does the wrong you know has the wrong effect on the economy so all right well we will be checking in with you obviously over the course of earnings season mark mm -hmm. thanks for joining us from macro cheers david great to catch up again from odds my pleasure thank you all right, that is our show for today. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au. You can tweet us at TV. And a reminder, you can find those stocks in the calls portfolio. Head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.